setting limits with others, especially in high-conflict situations where they're needed more than anywhere, or actually in any uncomfortable situation, is hard for most people. So we've created a place to learn how to do it in our virtual live lab, where you'll meet live one-on-one with one of our coaches to learn how to set limits. We'll use some of our own scenarios, and if you want, we can help you learn to apply them in your unique situation as well. It's a small investment with significant positive outcomes for you and for everyone involved in the situation. Schedule your live lab at highconflictinstitute.com slash live dash lab or call us at 619-800-2070. Welcome to It's All Your Fault on True Story FM, the one and only podcast dedicated to helping you identify and deal with the most damaging humans, people with high conflict personalities. I'm Megan Hunter, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Eddy. Hi, everybody. And we're the co-founders of the High Conflict Institute in San Diego, California. In today's episode, we're going to talk about borderline high conflict personalities. But first, we have a few quick reminders. Here's the deal. We want to hear from you. Have you dealt with a high conflict situation? Been blamed? Experienced violence or abuse from an HCP? Or maybe you simply dread seeing that person again, but you probably have to tonight at home or tomorrow at work. Send us your questions and we just might discuss them on the show. You can submit them by clicking the submit a question button at our website, highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast, emailing us at podcast at highconflictinstitute.com or dropping us a note on any of our socials. You can find all the show notes and links at highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast as well. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review, and please tell all your friends about us. Telling just one person that you like the show and where they can find it is the best way you can help us out and help more people learn how to address high-conflict people. And remember, we are not diagnosing anyone in our discussions, merely discussing patterns of behavior. We appreciate you so very much, and now... On with the show. In this episode, we wrap up the five-part series about the five types of people who can ruin your life. And in this episode, it's it's the last of the the five types, those with borderline high-conflict personalities. The first four episodes covered narcissistic, antisocial, histrionic, and paranoid HCPs. And If you haven't heard the term borderline, it it can be confusing at first. So we'll explain what borderline personality disorder is and then distinguish it from a person who may have a borderline high conflict personality. Unfortunately, over the years, you know, a, a lot of information about this disorder has floated around the Internet and uh, for the last two or three decades, really. And add to that, several books have been written about BPD um, that have a quite dark theme without offering much hope. Um, The good news is that's changed in the past, I don't know, five or so years with more positive stories coming out and um, some successes. We see a lot of BPD in divorce court because it's a disorder that shows up most prominently in romantic relationships. 
BPD behaviors are super disruptors that leave their romantic partners in, in chaos and confusion and really drained and exhausted. Eventually, one of the others other files a family court case, but we also see these behaviors in family relationships and friendships. But it's important to know here at the outset that not everyone with BPD has a high conflict personality. People with BPD get a bad rap because relationships with them can be extra challenging and sometimes downright devastating. However, these are people who are in a lot of pain and don't have the ability to regulate their emotions and behaviors. What looks pretty ugly to outsiders is experienced as extreme pain to them. And there's a further line of distinction. Some with BPD are more isolated and less acting out, while those with high-conflict personalities externalize their pain. You know, at High Conflict Institute, where Bill and I are co-founders, we've heard thousands of stories, uh, you know, from people who've been in relationships with others with BPD. But one that comes top of mind involved a couple who were set up on a blind date by a mutual friend. She was gorgeous, intelligent, very charming, sophisticated, um, and she was a famous model and, and high-profile actress. The guy was handsome, funny, successful, tall, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and they had an immediate huge spark, and she woke up at his place the next morning and basically never left. At first, it was just the toothbrush and a change of clothes, but within a couple of weeks, you know, everything was moved in. She was just there full time. She was 100% completely and totally in love with him, devoted with, to him, and he with her. He had a soft spot for her because she'd come from a tragic background involving an absent alcoholic mother and a volatile, uncaring dad. So his protective instinct kicked in. But the first sign of trouble was the frequent calls and texts throughout the workday. And then a little, you know, over time, you know, pretty quickly, uh, there were the demands that he be home at a certain time. And where are you? I don't know where you are. You need to be home now. You need to be with me. Where are you? She would check his text, check his emails, look in his phone, look in his computer. He had to be completely transparent with everything he did. And then he noticed the drinking a lot of drinking. Uh, then there was rehab. And then ultimately, there was the a point where he had a, a big meeting in another city. And it was an annual, annual board meeting. And, you know, if, if you do those kinds of meetings, you know what a big deal that that is. It's uh, he was at the C-suite level. So, you know, he needed to be there and needed to report. But what we'll talk about today is is the abandonment factor that comes along with borderline. So by him going to that city that day, she felt a little abandoned and um, completely sabotaged the entire, entire meeting for him that day from afar. <laughs> so I'll finish up the story at the end. But Bill, let's just dive right in and start talking about BPD. What is it in a nutshell? And then let's distinguish you know, BPD from someone with a borderline high conflict personality. Basically, borderline personality is a, a mood swing type of problem. The person is driven by unmanaged emotions. They often call it emotion dysregulation. And so they truly honestly feel um, in a panic 
a lot of the time anxious, a lot of the time uh, relationships are very rocky. They range from really idealizing people like Megan just described, but then they often turn to anger when they feel let down and almost anything can trigger that feeling of let down. And so it's this wide mood swings, sudden intense anger, um, the fear of abandonment. And that's really in many ways driving this. It's like, think of someone who's, you know, like an infant. Imagine if you're two years old and your parents say, bye, we're going on a trip. We'll see you in two weeks. And you don't know what to do. And it has that feeling. The person just feels driven from the inside. And what's interesting is when people are starting to become aware of this disorder, if they're in treatment for borderline personality disorder, and there is treatment nowadays, that they feel that, um, you know, they can see that they're overreacting to things, that their moods are out of proportion, but still can't manage them. It takes longer to learn how to manage those moods. So think of it that way. The, the term borderline is um, really dates back about 100 years when they were looking at people with um, what they called neuroses, which was worried well, problems in living anxious and depressed, and psychosis where people were out of time with reality. And they had this group they found were kind of on the edge. So they called them borderline. But then it became a personality disorder in 1980 in the manual for mental health professionals. But we're not teaching you to diagnose. So we're telling you more behaviors to be aware of. But these, these behaviors really go with feeling driven by emotions. And that's the main thing to understand. What are the the Kind of the main characteristics you, you mentioned, you know, I think rage. Uh, there's often you hear about feelings of emptiness and you know lack lack of impulse control is a big one. So, you know, I kind of have described it in the past, and the way it's kind of resonated with with some either who may have it themselves and don't even know it, and and also with those who who are in relationships with them uh, that it's like. If you give it a scuba diver analogy, right? If you get trained to be a diver, you know that you must dive with a partner. You don't go under the water without one because, you know, you've got an air tank. A lot of things can go wrong. And so you dive in pairs. And if one gets in trouble, then the other can give them their extra air regulator and they get the air they need to get back to the top. And so with people who have BPD... Uh, some people, I shouldn't say all, um, it, it kind of seems like they don't think they can can get enough air. They're under the water and they need air from someone else. They need the air hose, that air regulator from their partner to feel okay because they feel empty without it. But eventually what happens, right? Um, that other person can only supply air for both people for so long and then it, they eventually start running out of air they get frustrated and then the the you know the the person with BPD says you know thinking boy i i you're not getting me enough air it's all your fault <laughs> so is that a kind of an accurate description 
Yeah, I think that's a helpful one because you realize this person's like like feels like they're going to die, you know, and so it's it's really upsetting internally. And yet maybe you're working in an office and you're going, you know, there's you know, you just have paperwork. What's what's the big deal? But it's this this emotion dysregulation that takes over. But if you think of it as abandonment, I think that's a good analogy is that that air hose is if you don't have it, you're going to die. You're going to desperately want to hold on to somebody who's got some oxygen for you. And so it's it's it makes sense when you start realizing this person is desperate inside. People don't choose to act badly, but it's often inappropriate for the situation because of that intense feeling inside. So I think that's a key thing to understand. These intense emotions inside feel desperate, feel survival oriented to the person experiencing them. And so it can be kind of a roller coaster. But if you think of abandonment, so they cling, and then if they think you're abandoning them, go into a rage, which is very roller coaster, unpredictable, and you don't know what triggers it because it's really going on inside of them. And then you combine that with the lack of impulse control. Like, where does that come from? Well, in many ways, the emotions just take over. And so there isn't the ability to go, wait a minute, this is out of proportion. It's really disproportionate. So on a scale of like one to 100, they're reacting one or they're reacting 100. And the treatment for that helps them learn, okay, this is a situation where, yeah, it is upsetting, but maybe it's a 10 on a scale of one to 100, not a a hundred, and some people actually outgrow the diagnosis um, with good counseling, so that they're able to moderate their emotional reactions more. So that's that's important for people to know that that is possible. Yeah, we'll we'll circle back to that um, in this episode and talk, uh, kind of give some more information on that. You know, one of the things you said, one of the words was was intense emotions, right? And, and I focus on the word intense because that's what we hear so much from people is the intensity of the anger and the wrath and the rage is, is beyond anything people have experienced before. Yeah. Let me mention, because you asked about the difference between BPD and borderline high-conflict people. And so high-conflict people, as we've explained throughout this series, tend to have a preoccupation with blaming others, maybe one person or several people. And it's this preoccupation with targets of blame that make them a high-conflict person. Now, I've worked in counseling with people with borderline personality disorder, and many of them aren't high-conflict people. And they're in pain, and they understand, and they want to do something about that. And they're not blaming anybody in particular, although at the moment they may get angry at somebody, but it's fleeting. The high-conflict people that are borderline have the mood swings with a target of blame, and that's where you really see the biggest problems in the workplace, in relationships, romance, etc., is they just focus all those intense emotions on you, and they may tell the world that you're a horrible, evil person. And we see that in high-conflict divorce cases a lot. We also see them clinging to the children in high 
high-conflict divorce cases. So they'll publicly blame the other parent for being abusive, doing this, that, and the other thing. And you dig under the surface and find out that parent wasn't abusive at all. That was the high-conflict person's perception. And so when you combine borderline with high-conflict behavior, that's when you get, you know, the high-conflict divorces and such. And that can really surprise, like, everybody. They go, wow, I didn't know this person could be that intense. So it's intense with a target of blame versus people with BPD who aren't high-conflict, who are intense, but aren't necessarily blaming anybody. That's a big distinction. So people's, it's not all people with borderline personality disorder that, that blame people. That's important to know. In the divorce community, you know, and the profession, the term high conflict is, you know, well established and, and well known. And it's, it's becoming more well known across the world, really, um, a lot because of our work, <laughs> I'd have to say. But I, I think it would be helpful here to talk about, you know, what does that mean? What, what does high conflict and high conflict personality mean? Well, we've defined it as four characteristics on the surface, and that's preoccupation with blaming others, a lot of all or nothing thinking, um, and solutions. You know, it's my way or the highway. They, they fight for exclusive parenting time and high-conflict divorce. In the workplace, they fight to get the other person fired, things like that. Unmanaged emotions, which is pretty common with borderline, and extreme behaviors. So we see domestic violence. We see breaking things. We see just up and moving out of the state or something in impulsive, uh, extreme blame on the internet, circulating rumors, um, knowingly false things because they feel justified because they feel hurt inside. And so that's, that's the high conflict personality. What's interesting for people dealing with divorce cases is, I said earlier, BPD, some people with good counseling outgrow the diagnosis. I haven't seen that happen if they're also high-conflict high conflict people. So the high-conflict court case person going into BPD doesn't necessarily change because they're so focused on the other person that they don't really work on themselves. Uh, what about statistics? What are the uh, stats in the U.S.? Well, the big study that, that I keep referring back to National Institutes of Health from the early 2000s uh, said that that was around 6% of the adult population. So if you think the U.S. is like 330 million people, um, 6% is, let's see, I'm working on this because I can't do it in my head anymore. <laughs> it's impressive you could it's ever about, do it in your head because I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's about 20 million people. So everybody knows somebody like this. But there's also a range. Some, you know, some are, are high high-level managers. They, they're irritable. I think of the... Um, 
uh, Meryl Streep in the Devil Wears Prada movie where she was a manager, she was brilliant, but she sure had mood swings as someone, a high-functioning person with this personality. So it doesn't mean that they, they can't work at all, although it's true for some they're so disabled. But many wouldn't be considered disabled at all. They're high-profile and successful at their work, but they also have this problem, and that makes it harder to work with them. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, we hear a lot about uh, surprise about a divorce of of someone like this, um, because at work, they seem to be able to manage it better than they do at home, and they keep that relationship and the, the behaviors very secret. And their their partner often is thinks no one would ever believe them if they <laughs> talked about how chaotic and, and rough the marriage is. Um, but anyway, um, let's get back to the stats. Are Is there a, a gender differentiation in those studies? Well, what's interesting is when I became a therapist in the 1980s, borderline personality disorder was concert, considered primarily a female um, disorder. 75% or more uh, were women. And, and this big study came out that it's very close to 50-50, like 47 to 53%, I think, uh, slightly more women. Um, but I think a lot of the domestic violence perpetrators I saw in, in high-conflict divorce cases, uh, male, had this borderline pattern. And I think of some cases I had where both parties seemed to have borderline personality disorder. The man also had violence with it, whereas the woman didn't. It was more verbal. And so that can be a real roller coaster because it's a push-pull relationship. People get angry, push each other away, and then they become, you know, wanting to get the person back and they become charming and seductive again. And so they're back and forth with each other. It's really very painful, but they can't get out of that cycle. When we see people get out of that cycle, they often have a lot of growth and, and really go on to have happier lives. But it's usually not with a person that has the same problem. Uh, I was just thinking about one of the biggest questions or statements that we hear from people all from the very beginning of, of starting our our organization is uh, people who call and say, you know, my child, my, you know, adult daughter, my mother-in-law, my brother, whoever, um, is bipolar. And, um, you know, my first question is, you know, okay, well, let's talk about that. Is that, uh, you know, is that diagnosed or is that something that you, you believe? And, and I think it's because it was a popular and well-known diagnosis, what, 15, 20, 25 years ago now? Um, and so it's if, if someone seemed to be acting unusual or erratic, they kind of got labeled bipolar by those around them. And uh, I think, you know, what we've seen is many really have the, the behaviors of this borderline high conflict personality. So let's talk about that a bit. 
Well, bipolar disorder is one that's more over time. So it's it's also a, a mood type of disorder. So someone may have more of a manic episode, say for a couple of weeks, they're not sleeping, they're spending, they're meeting strangers, doing all of these things, um, high energy things. Gambling, getting, <laughs> buying yeah. houses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and so getting overextended in different ways. Um, I knew a woman that, an older woman with this, and she would just go meet people and bring them home to her house, and ended up having things stolen from her house. But her judgment was was impaired by kind of this manic episode for a couple of weeks, and then she'd go into a depression for a couple months, and you wouldn't hear from her. You have to call up. Are you still alive? Are you there? And yeah. Yeah, you know, and so it's it's that kind of over time type of a, a mood difficulty, whereas with borderline, it may be minute by minute mood swings, you know, friendly, sweet, loving, in a rage, just you're terrible, you've done everything wrong. And then, you know, an hour later, somehow or other back to normal. And you're wondering, well, well, what was happening an hour ago? And my suggestion is you don't ask that question. <laughs> if they're in a good mood, let it stay uh, while you're having it. So, and keep in mind, again, this is all being driven emotionally from the inside. So they're not planning to be on a roller coaster. And it's very painful um, for them, but also for the people around them. And that's why we're educating people. So you understand, and ideally, they get into treatment. Um, but the, the, the key thing here is bipolar and borderline are two separate and different disorders. Bipolar seems to be more uh, chemical imbalance and medication has more success uh, with bipolar. Medication may soften things for someone with borderline, but it's not a treatment really for borderline that they really need to change a set of behaviors, which seems to take two to five years if they're committed to doing that. And some never change. They just stay this way throughout their lifespan. But I did want to mention that big study in the early 2000s found that about 40% of people with borderline personality disorder also had bipolar disorder. And so some people have both. And I know when I worked at psychiatric hospital, the psychiatrist would prescribe medication for bipolar and then see if the person got better then they probably didn't have borderline personality disorder. If the person didn't get better or maybe even got worse, they figured, okay, we're dealing with borderline personality disorder in addition to or instead of bipolar. So there's a, they're different, um, different problems, but could same person could have both. And it's so important to to have this piece of information because to get better, to really improve the BPD side, the borderline piece, you know, like you said, medication is not going to, to help it. And going to, you know, continual talk therapy even, I mean, maybe there's some benefit and I, I wouldn't say there's none, but you really need treatment specifically designed for BPD. And we'll circle back to that in a bit. But I wanted to ask first, let's talk about, you know, where did this come from? And I, I think those who know about BPD realize there's 
typically a tra- you know some some trauma in the background and that's why it's so important to be trauma informed when when you're working with anybody with these types of behaviors so where does this come from there seems to be a couple sources so one is trauma and usually early childhood trauma so that first 4 or 5 years of life uh child abuse Uh, physical child abuse, sexual child abuse. For many years in the 1980s, when I was trained, it was thought this was a result of child sexual abuse. But what's been learned is it seems to be the result for many people of any kind of abuse. So physical abuse, even repeated emotional and verbal abuse. And that can even impact... um, the person's brain structure. So there's a, a scientist uh, group of people out of Harvard who studied the development of the corpus callosum in the brain, which is the middle part, the bridge between right and left hemisphere, and found that repeated abuse of any kind can cause that to be damaged and smaller, that the person gets too much cortisol from stress on their brain as a young child. It influences this part of the brain so that they have a harder time going back and forth from logical problem-solving to defensive reacting. And if you grow up in a war zone, that may help you. You may need to respond quickly. Uh, If you grow up in an abusive environment, you may need to respond quickly to escape and and not get hurt. Um, But that doesn't work well in an office environment on the 20th floor where you can't just run out of the building and yell at people. But we see that there's it's getting really understood more and more. There's a lot of science to this. But the most important thing is this isn't a switch that somebody rationally turns on and off as an adult. This is something that takes some rebuilding and learning skills, methods such as dialectical behavior therapy and other cognitive behavioral therapies have had some good success at helping people manage all of this. But I want to add a piece that I've learned really over the last 20 years, and that is there's some people with no abuse history who have borderline personality disorder. And it seems to be more like a genetic tendency that it's part of the gene pool of personality DNA, whatever it is. They haven't figured that out yet, but that some people just come out borderline. And that they look back and say, my parents didn't do anything unusual. Um, I came from a loving family, but I was really difficult. And they'll say, you know, I was suicidal and I was homicidal. I was angry at everybody. And and we can't point to anything. Um, And maybe siblings seem more ordinary. And so there may be some genetic tendencies for some people. So we don't always assume that it's mom and dad's fault. But the thing to know as an adult is the person didn't choose to be this way. And I think that's the most important thing. Mm, For sure. Now, interactions, you know, and relationships with people with BPD can be gigantically exhausting and confusing, obviously. (laughs) Uh, Arguments come out of nowhere, complete meltdowns, rage, and, you know, getting blamed for for things. And 
you know, cursing, swearing coming out of people who don't ordinarily curse. And as you and I know, it's the stuff that comes out when a person is, this is the type of stuff that comes out when a person is stuck in those right brain emotions. So let's talk about talking to the right brain, which is a ability uh, phrase, right? <laughs> and And why it works. Well, it seems that when you think of the right and left hemispheres of the brain, and brain scientists differ on this, but the ones I follow say the left is more where you have reading, writing, talking, listening, problem solving, loud blood flow for those activities. The right brain seems to be very creative, intuitive, big picture, but also where a lot of the defensive protective emotions are. So your intense negative emotions seem to be much more active active in the right brain. So when someone's feeling these intense emotions, what we've learned is we need to speak the language of the right brain, which is empathy, which is I'll pay attention to you, um, respect for the person, calm tone of voice, all of that. So you're really helping the person manage those upset emotions that they're having a hard time managing themselves. So talking to the right brain is using what we call ear statements, saying, you know, I know this is a hard time. I'm with you on this. Let's see what we can do. So there's a sense of working together instead of fighting each other. And people often quickly calm down when they feel you sincerely want to work with them and want it to be easier and happier for them. So that way, you know, if they're going into a rage, you can say, I can see you're really frustrated right now. Let's take a break. Or, you know, tell me more. I want to understand why this is so upsetting. And so that can calm the person down. So I think that's what you're, you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's easy to talk about, right? <laughs> but one of the absolute hardest things to do when you're you know, faced with this, because it happens so quickly, often, where you're in a conversation with with someone, and suddenly they're angry. And now you're, uh, you're a little bit hooked, you're a little angry, your heart rates up a little bit, you feel a little bit tense, right? And so it's can be exceedingly difficult to give empathy, um, when you're, you know, being hooked like that. So how do you, you know, it, it requires a high level of empathy, right? Um, so how do you summon the empathy required to interact with them when they're in this upset and you're a little hooked? Well, that's um, pretty hard <laughs> in many ways. It's it's easier for me as a therapist because I've had clients with borderline personality disorder, and they'd suddenly be outraged with me and say, wow, you're really, really feeling that intense. Now I'm feeling really bad. Is that what you're feeling? And being able to talk it through. A relationship partner, a dating partner, um, usually isn't going to be able to do that. And so taking a break is often one of the most important things. And then say, let's come back and talk about this later. And later, you know, you may have someone with BPD apologizes. They say, I'm sorry, I got so upset. You know, I'm going to try not to do that again. Um, and sometimes they don't apologize because it is all your fault. <laughs> and they want to remind you of that. Um, so it's really 
It's something to try if you can do it, giving them some empathy. Sentences that start with, I can understand how frustrated you are, or I can hear how difficult this is, or I can see this is a hard time. That helps. That's empathy. That's like, I can. I can understand. I can see. I can hear. In other words, this is something I may have felt sometimes. And sometimes you can say that. I feel that way sometimes too. And so it's it's connecting rather than rejecting mm. the person. But it's not always easy, not always successful. And you know, this is where counseling can help. Even a couple's counseling can help if the therapist understands this problem. Otherwise, they get focused on who's to blame, and that doesn't help either person. Mm, who's to blame and who's the victim, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of empathy, people with high-conflict personalities typically have little to no empathy for others. Um I mean, it just seems to be a characteristic that goes with this because of the fear-based personality. So, but with those with BPD, we often see a higher level of empathy than, you know, just people who don't suffer a personality disorder. So is, is that true? And if so, why? Well, it seems to be people with BPD have a lot of intense emotions, and some of those are intensely positive emotions. And so I think of people with BPD, say, with a pet, and they just love their pet, and they're affectionate with the pet. Some of them, you know, with uh, raising children have intense positive emotions with the children, but then they also have intense negative emotions. So that's a roller coaster that's tricky uh, for kids. But I'd say they they have a lot of positive emotions and they can have a lot of empathy for other people. But that sometimes it really it can vanish in an instant when they go into a rage. So it's kind of a roller coaster of empathy, intense empathy, mild empathy, no empathy, intense, mild. And, and this is part of why you can see them being really sensitive um, in, in early relationship, being really caring um, and, and just wonderful. So it's, it's kind of two sides of this person, and that's something to build on rather than um, just getting angry at them. And it's really, I think, understanding this, especially if you have a family member like this, is understanding they don't have much control of this and hopefully get them to get some counseling to really deal with this. Because learning to manage those emotions can just make a world of difference for them. Mm. Yeah, that empathy it just that that can be extraordinarily high with them sometimes can just flip like you said it can flip on a dime when and and at that moment it has to be all about them right it it's and, and, and so it can be very confusing to those on the outside because they they've experienced this beautiful gift of empathy from someone like this and then in the next minute it's gone and it has to be completely about that person yeah, let me just say, as as parents, sometimes they, they have a huge amount of empathy, but they lack emotional boundaries so that they kind of see the child and themselves as experiencing the same feelings, thinking the same way, when that's not really the case. They have a harder time letting the child be an independent um, person. So they have empathy for the child's pain, but 
when the child differs from them, they might have a harder time having empathy at that moment. Mm, okay. Uh, jealousy is often associated with BPD. Um, for example, I, I recall seeing jealousy from someone with BPD over a dog, you know, an absolute hatred toward the dog of their partner <laughs> because the dog get, get attention from, from, you know, the person that they loved. So uh, they, the person, meaning the person with BPD. So why is that? It goes back to that fear of abandonment because they they really feel threatened. And an example is, um, say you're, you're um, married, you're six months pregnant, and now your husband's starting to become abusive because they're jealous of the attention you're giving to your pregnancy, and they can see the handwriting on the wall, this this infant's going to be more important than they are for a while. And so that's when we see often see a lot of domestic violence begins, when it's going to begin. I mean, most people, let's say 80% of men, are not violent in relationships, but some people are. You just don't see it for a while. But it seems like six months pregnant was when I've noticed a lot of cases people start reporting. That's when that became, and it really was a jealousy. And they may have wanted to be a parent. They may know this is going to be a boy, and I always wanted to raise a son and this and that. And yet they 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 feel these jealous feelings inside, and they can't control them. So that's what you see um, that's part of what you see in high-conflict divorce cases is they're, they're really angry at the former spouse, and so they're clinging to the child. And when the child says, hey, I had a fun time at dad's house this weekend, that they feel terrible because they want the child to reject the father and just love them. Yeah. So let's wrap this up with, I guess, one last question. If If you could summarize... You know, the the borderline high-conflict personality in one word, maybe two, we'll give you that. Uh, what would it be? Um, rageful blame. Rageful blame. Interesting. Because the rage comes from borderline and the blame comes from the high-conflict personality. And if you could give, you know, helpful information to someone in a relationship like this, what would it be? That we're seeing more and more people that can improve with this. They go through some kind of therapy um, that addresses learning skills of self-management, of relationship manage self-management, emotion self-management. You know, I worked as a therapist with inpatient and outpatient people with cognitive therapy, and they're slowly learning to kind of re rewrite the messages that they have when they're upset. You know, I can manage this. Um, people in domestic violence groups learn, I can take breaks. Um, I don't have to get defensive now. This isn't about me. And so some relationships really can improve when the person works on themselves. But the key is getting them to work on themselves. So that's that's where the difficulty lies. If they do, then they can. We have good treatments nowadays. Right. I, I and I'm, I lied. I said there'd only be two questions, but here's here's the final. <laughs> Is there hope for someone who's in a relationship with someone with BPD? Um, in in the past, they've just been thought of as as you know a 
kind of a throwaway relationship. Well, you know, someone had, you know, I'm, my partner has BPD. So I, you know, there's no, there's no hope that it will never get better. And, you know, as we've seen, this can improve. Relationships can improve if both people learn the skills necessary, correct? Yes. And so it really is about skills. And you're right, it's both parties, because how you react to someone with these difficulties can make a big difference, and how they work on their own emotions. And so there are people I've seen usually going through intensive treatment. I might mention that if they have a substance abuse problem and they go through substance abuse treatment, that helps them with their borderline personality disorder because they learn more self-management, self-reflection, more, um, in a sense, humility from a 12-step program helps them really have more empathy for their partner and to be able to say, whoops, you know, I went too far just then and I'm working on myself. That's the key. If you have two partners in a relationship who are both working on their own skills, how they manage themselves, there's a lot of hope for getting along. If you have only one working on themselves or nobody working on themselves and one has BPD, um, it's going to be a roller coaster. Mm. Speaking of roller coasters, uh Back to the story we started in in this episode with the uh, relationship between the beautiful actress and and uh, her boyfriend. Uh, the ultimate results of that is the the relationship did break up, but it was uh, it was a very long and difficult breakup because of that that abandonment fear and uh, that need to stay attached and stay connected despite not being able to have a good relationship um, and not being official in the relationship, uh, but just needing to have that phone contact or texting contact in some way. Um, uh, And I promised to talk about the meeting as well, that in the city, the board meeting, that was a um, absolute mess of a day uh, with, with the, the woman um, threatening suicide all day long. Right. Um, sending text messages to her boyfriend while he's in this, you know, presenting to the board of directors. And so he would present for 15 minutes, run out into the hallway, check his text. You know, she didn't tell him where she was. And it was this, you know, very obvious, you know, fear of abandonment and feeling completely spiraled out of control because he was in a different city. And uh, she told him she was in a hotel room um, in, a, in a yet different city. And he didn't know where she was. So, you know, he was in complete panic mode. So it it sabotaged his day altogether, <laughs> his meeting. And he was so worried about her because he did love her a lot. Ultimately, their relationship, uh, like I said, it, it did end. And um, a few years later, she actually passed away at a fairly young age. And um, it was, I think that's that's kind of common when there are other, you know, substance abuse issues involved. So that's, a you know, a tragic outcome. But I guess we want to give hope that there can be better outcomes with, with treatment like Bill was just talking about. And, and there are many stories uh, that we can attest to. And, and those who work with people with BPD can attest that other, you know, lots can go on to have a really beautiful life and beautiful relationships after the right treatment. 
But if the light bulb just went on for you about this, you know, personality type and, and you think someone in your life may have this, it's important to avoid telling them that you think that about them because you might be wrong. <laughs> no one wants to be told that you think they're flawed and people with high conflict personalities don't have the kind of insight needed to absorb that kind of information. So just keep it to yourself, get educated and learn the necessary skills to manage the relationship with them. And remember, once again, we're not diagnosing anyone and you shouldn't either. So with this episode, we've wrapped up the entire five type series. In the next episode, we're going to be answering questions you've submitted. So thank you for submitting questions. And then uh, that'll be followed by uh, domestic violence and family law cases with special guests, um, attorney Annette Burns and retired judge Karen Adam, who've um, interviewed along with Bill, uh, 16 experts in domestic violence and family law cases. It will absolutely be fascinating and you won't want to miss it. So be sure to look in the show notes for links to our books and there'll be some extra books by other authors. One is Sharina Rooney, who wrote the big book on borderline personality disorder. Uh, she has lived experience with it and has recovered um, and a couple of books by Amanda Smith from Hope for BPD. And then we have several of Bill's books and a couple of mine and a lot of courses on there as well. So be sure to take a look at those and then tell your friends about our podcast and we wish you all the best in your relationships. It's All Your Fault is a production of True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by Wolf Samuels, John Coggins, and Ziv Moran. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at truestory.fm or highconflictinstitute.com slash podcast. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. 